Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of the show. I'm very happy to have you with me again this week. Uh, I want to uh, remind you that the show is now available also as a video on YouTube and Rumble. And if I had my druthers, I would have all of you watching the video on Rumble. I mean, if you're going to watch the video, I'd prefer it be on Rumble rather than on YouTube. And the reason for that is very simple. I'm not ever worried about getting censored or locked out of my account on Rumble, but I am on YouTube, and it's actually happened to me on YouTube. If uh, some of you might remember, oh, not too awful long ago, I had a guest on who was Muslim, and we talked about some things about her being Muslim, and uh, YouTube locked me out of my account for, uh, I think it was two weeks, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even post a video to let folks know why... There weren't any new videos, and you know, I just had no way of communicating with my audience. So I said to myself, that's the last time that's going to happen. So I went looking for other platforms, and uh, you know, I've really been making full use of alternative platforms ever since, and really trying to, to grow my support on these alternative platforms. Well, let me bring you up to date on some things about me. My daughter's sick. She woke up with a sore throat. Kind of not immediately, but later on in the day, later on in the morning, started complaining about a sore throat. So I made her some chicken noodle soup, pampered her all day, and we sat around watching Looney Tunes cartoons. You know, the classic Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Looney Tunes cartoons. I can't watch any of the new ones. They're so dumb that uh, I just can't watch them, so... Fortunately, I can still access the classic Looney Tunes like the ones that I grew up with. And, and probably it's what a lot of you all uh, grew up watching too. What else? Uh, daylight Savings Time come to an end here last Saturday. Last Saturday night, Sunday. And uh, it's really got me screwed up. I hate Daylight Savings Time. I would just wish they would just keep the time the same all the time. It screws me up. It screws up my eating schedule. It screws up my work schedule. It screws up my internal system. It, it screws up everything. So not real happy about that, but, you know, I'm, I'm adjusting. Also, I've been working on a couple of bug-out bags. I've really decided to put my nose to the grindstone and stop farting around and really get a couple of really nice bug out bags 
made and put together. And uh, it's a lot harder than what you'd think. You think, well, you just throw a few emergency things into a backpack and then you're ready to go, right? But um, my mind doesn't work that way. My mind says has to try to plan for every possible eventuality. And one thing I've learned over the last couple years is that you can create a bug out bag that is perfect for let's say wilderness survival so let's say that there's a a real worldwide event and you have to flee into the the back country or something you can create a a bug out bag that's just perfect for that and that would include like a lot of uh, stainless steel or titanium gear you know so that you could cook over an open fire and everything like that but what if you're we're talking about the type of emergency that does not involve uh, fleeing into the back country then we're talking about something where you might be in a hotel or something like that and what do we know you cannot use metal bowls and that sort of thing for well you can't use it in a microwave right so i'm trying to develop a system that has everything i need to be comfortable in a wilderness environment and at the same time do well in a civilized environment so if i'm staying at a hotel uh, and things of that nature so that that's what's taken me so long it's just taken a lot of thought and once i get my my packs together if you are interested in knowing exactly what i come up with you let me know send me an email over at uh, brian barnett at the last com, and uh, maybe i'll do a video on it or something you've heard me talk about my friend lambert well i invited him to supper uh here in the next couple weeks sent him a message said hey what do you think about coming over for supper i'm gonna have a couple other people over on this date he said yeah sounds good i'll be there so that's going to be on a friday this past friday i was sitting here at my workstation uh, watching some youtube and doing some writing and that sort of thing and all of a sudden i see this face peek in through the door and i go who is that that looks like uh, lambert's son grant and sure enough it was and so grant i i wave him in grant comes in lambert comes in right behind him carrying all kinds of stuff carrying bags big uh, cooler I said, what's all that stuff for? He said, what's all this for? He said, did you forget you that you invited me to supper? I said, buddy, that's not for another two weeks. He said, oh my gosh. And he had to get his phone out and check to see if for sure I had told him uh, a specific you know, future date, and I had. So <laughs> I said, well, you're here. Let's go ahead and order pizza. And so we did. We ordered pizza, and we had a good time. He had brought some uh, apple pie over my goodness it was good amish apple pie and uh, we scarfed down that scarfed down a pizza and we had a good time the topics we're going to talk about today when to tell others that you have a specific emotional disorder so for example when do you say to somebody by the way uh, i have borderline personality disorder if we have time, we'll talk about do emotionally healthy people experience insecurities. I'm going to address people who say that uh, they don't perceive themselves as having as being devoid of worth. So they have borderline personality disorder, or they have some other 
specific emotional disorder, but they say to themselves, Barnett's always talking about how this means that I perceive myself as devoid of worth, and, and I don't do that. All right, we'll talk about that for a little bit. And uh, also, kind of along the same line, people who say, I don't feel negatively about my feelings. Barnett's always talking about how this is rooted in a perception of uh, feelings. I don't perceive my feelings in a negative way. Well, we'll, we'll address you too while we're at it. The first topic, when to tell others that you have a specific emotional disorder. If you're thinking about this in the context of a romantic relationship, let me just say up front that you know you have no business searching out a romantic relationship. So that makes it pretty easy, don't it? That if you're not getting into a committed relationship, then you don't have to feel any obligation to tell somebody that you you have borderline personality disorder or whatever it is you're dealing with. I'm not saying that you can't go out and have fun and go on dates and those sorts of things. I'm, I'm talking about committed relationships. You have no business as long as this thing is not, as long as you've not fixed this thing, addressed it, had time to completely eradicate it, you have no business being out into the day, in the dating world. It's like you having a, a sexually transmitted disease at choosing to have sex with other people. You're right? The time is not right. You need to get the sexually transmitted disease taken care of before you even put yourself into those sorts of situations. That's sort of what it's like having a borderline personality disorder. What you're doing by going out and searching for a committed relationship is you're uh, selfishly thinking only about yourself and not thinking honestly about what this is going to uh, mean for the other person because if you're if you're taking that into their life you know you're taking that into their life also if you're getting into a committed relationship with somebody while you have an emotional disorder the only way that can happen is if that person also is pretty unhealthy emotionally speaking given that those things are true what's the point What's the point of two unhealthy people getting into a relationship? You're just begging, begging for pain. So in that context, the answer is you shouldn't be searching for a relationship anyway so that there's ever a need for you to tell somebody, hey, by the way, I have borderline personality disorder. But in other contexts, so for example, your friends, uh, people who have known you for a long time, people at work, those sorts of situations, when should you tell them? that you have a specific emotional disorder. Well, in my experience, when I was just beginning to figure things out, and let me give you a little rundown here for people who don't know me. I had borderline personality disorder until I was at least 35 years old, and I didn't know that I had an emotional disorder. I didn't know that anything was out of the ordinary with me whatsoever. In fact, I thought I was completely healthy and normal and everything like that. After... Uh, a major crisis in my life uh, I was forced to recognize that I did have an emotional disorder and then I spent seven years of my life in intense work on myself trying to get to the root causes of what it was understand where it come from and to eradicate it and I was successful in doing that so I have some insights on these things that maybe a lot of other people don't have so when I talk about 
you know, my personal experience that it might be a time to get out a pen and paper. In my personal experience, when I was just starting to figure things out, there are people that I wish that I would not have shared the details of my emotional disorder with. So I understand this this idea of, well, when do I tell somebody? I got to tell them, right? If I don't tell them, it's, it's not being honest. But there's a lot of things that uh, that uh, just because we could tell doesn't mean that we need to tell. You know, there's a lot of personal things about ourselves that we could tell doesn't mean we necessarily are obligated to or that we have to. So, for example, if I got hemorrhoids sitting here recording this show, I don't necessarily need to tell you that I got hemorrhoids, do I? Well, you know, recovering from borderline personality disorder is kind of like that. It's it's personal work that you're doing on yourself, right? So, in most cases, there's no need to tell somebody that you have borderline personality disorder or an emotional disorder. Just no real need for it. At the time, it seemed to me like uh, if I were to tell people, hey... I've got borderline personality disorder and that's what I'm dealing with at work among some other friendships and that sort of thing I kind of thought that it would enlighten them and that this would translate into some understanding and patience directed toward me but that's not what happened that was not my experience Uh, instead it seemed like uh, most people perceived my telling them that as either a lame attempt to try to excuse certain behaviors or they just simply didn't care or they were unable to understand the significance of what I was telling them and the result of this is that I felt more frustration after I told a lot of people than before I told them and you know later looking back I really wish I just kept my mouth shut and waited until I had my recovery process more firmly under my belt we're going to talk about this a few times today about this kind of anxiety to just to say a thing reveal a thing uh, you know this is going to come in back into play when we talk about this urgency to apologize to people I understand it and I'm telling you time's on your side so why be in a hurry that's it you know time is really on your side don't don't be in a hurry and that, that's the same advice I'd give you about revealing to people casual acquaintances and family and that sort of you know even your parents you know maybe your parents uh, don't know that you have an emotional disorder and maybe when you find out that's your first instinct is to run to them and tell them hey I've, I've been living with this emotional disorder don't do it don't do it it's going to be very frustrating for you it's not going to improve your situation any as much as you, as many insights as you think you've gained at this point trust me there will be more <laughs> there, there's a reason why uh, i didn't kick borderline personality disorder after six months it's because i gained insights and i had to build on them then i had to search out more insights Ah, get those insights, build on those, see how they relate to the uh, the other insights that I had gained. So don't be in a hurry. Think about how 
regretful you're going to be if you say a lot of things to people now while you're still an infant so to speak as far as recovery goes and as far as being strong emotionally speaking goes think about how foolish you're going to feel if you do that now and three years down the line you know 150 times more than what you knew than what you know right now you're going to say well there there was no reason for me to get into a hurry and start flapping my jaws off at everybody because uh, there was still so much that I didn't understand and I didn't know it would have been better if I would have just waited those three years then if I still felt like I wanted to tell people these things I could that's what happened to me looking back I really wish I just kept my mouth shut and uh, waited until I had some recovery experience more firmly under my belt and could then have a clearer mind and perspective on who to share that information with and who not to share it with the reality is that some of the people that I shared kind of intimate things about my struggle and my life with really didn't deserve to know such personal intimate things about me but I was unable to fully understand and appreciate this at that time but you know once that cat's out of the bag it's out so consider that you don't get a second chance to decide who you are going to reveal stuff like that to for the first time I hope you understand that you don't get a second chance to decide who you're going to reveal things to once you reveal it to somebody it's done the cat's out of the bag and uh, later if you go gosh I didn't need to tell them that or gosh uh, if I had waited longer and understood more thoroughly what I'm dealing with when I did say it, uh, talk to them about it I could have explained it much better and you know some of those people now will continue to associate you with that disorder for forever I'm not saying that's right I'm just saying that that that's some people will do that I know that there's people out there I think about this all the time uh, people who were in my life during my uh, my own authentic recovery at the beginning of it you know when I was going through that crisis and everything when they think of me today they surely they surely only associate me with who how I was how I was behaving and all that craziness from back then during that crisis and goodness gracious I've changed I mean fundamentally my life has totally changed I have fundamentally changed as a person so that's just a reality that uh, that happens so don't be in a hurry don't be in a hurry to reveal things to people that is unnecessary and that you don't maybe even fully understand at this point maybe there's more for you to learn I just don't want you to feel like there's this pressure of time or anything like that where you just must tell other people the truth is you don't have to tell anybody if you don't want and at the same time you also don't have to be ashamed of having an emotional disorder either the people who are the types to stick by you are going to do so whether they have a name to put on your issues or not you know whether they know well Sally's dealing with borderline personality disorder whether she knows that or not 
if she's the type that you know is going to be a long-term friend or whatever it won't matter it won't matter if she knows that i assure you this that uh, you're not going to regret anything by waiting until you've progressed further along in authentic recovery before revealing certain things to others this will give you the experience and the clarity to make better decisions about how you want to reveal these sorts of things too but by jumping the gun and sharing it with people early in recovery there's a great possibility for regrets later so why not just avoid the regrets altogether like I say time is on your side Do emotionally healthy people experience insecurities? Yes, we do. But here's the most important part of the answer. Emotionally healthy people don't have insecurities related to self-worth. It's the natural benefit of knowing that worth is inherent to simply being a person. Right? I've been talking about this a lot lately. Human worth is rooted in what you are not in what you accomplish not in uh, how you look not on any of these external things it's rooted in the fact that you're a person you're a person and because you're a person you just do have worth it's inherent and because it's inherent as I've mentioned many many times it can't be dependent on external things you know like the way your hair looks your weight at any given time the car you're driving the clothes you're wearing, how attractive you are, your, or how attractive your boyfriend or girlfriend is. Those are all external things. Inner and inherent refers to an individual giving birth to it and generating a sense of it from within themselves. Totally unrelated to anything external. And why? Because it's an inherent aspect of just being who you are, what you are. You're a person. So you can't earn inherent parts of yourself. Things that are inherent to you just are just there whether you recognize they're there or not. That's the most amazing thing to me is that for you know 35 years of my life, I did not perceive myself as having inherent worth. All that time, I still did have inherent worth. I just didn't perceive myself as it. And one thing, one amazing thing about people is that for all intents and purposes, if we believe a thing is or believe a thing is not whatever regardless of what the reality is our just believing that makes it so so if i believe that i don't have inherent worth then for all intents and purposes i don't because the effect is the same the effect is the same on me my just believing that it's the same as if i really didn't have inherent worth Right? It affects me the same, emotionally and mentally. It's very fascinating to me. It, think about this. If I truly believe uh, that uh, oxygen is poisonous, if I truly believe that, 100%, I'm just, it's, it's a certainty that I'm just absolutely concretely certain about, then oxygen might as well be poison because the effect on me the effect that that belief has on me is the same I still have to walk around right with an with a, a mask on 
uh, still have to walk around in a hazmat suit. I still have to walk around being completely uh, protecting myself all the time from air. And uh, so the effect is the same for all intents and purposes. No different than if the air, than if the wind just really was poisonous. And I, I can't walk outside the door. For real, I can't walk outside the door because I'll die. That reality, now you, you say that's not the reality. It's just something you believe is the reality. Yeah, but it's the same. The effect on me is the same. I still won't go out the door without a hazmat suit and an oxygen mask and all those things, right? Amazing. So when you're thinking about recovery and about all the effects that these things have on us, and you start to realize that none of it's true. All these things that have affected us so powerfully for so many years, none of it's true. Well, for all the years that we've believed that, it might as well have been true, right? Because the effect is the same. How beautiful it is to escape those lies, and then the world just opens up to you. Everything opens up to you. So you can't earn inherent parts of yourself. Things that are inherent to you just are there, whether you recognize they are there or not. And this true type of sense of worth can't be taken away either. For example, if I gained 50 pounds, which I think I did <laughs> over the uh, during the pandemic, my worth isn't suddenly less as a person. Why not? Because true worth isn't dependent on external factors. Now, do healthy people sometimes experience insecurities? Yes, we do. And I, I mentioned this before in, a, in an orange slice, which are these abbreviated uh, video insights that I do from time to time. If you ask me to disarm a nuclear bomb, trust me, I'm going to be insecure about that. Why? Because I don't know how to disarm nuclear bombs and I don't want to die. But if you put me in a large group of people on a day when my hair is messed up, my breath stinks, I got a big zit on my forehead, will I be insecure? Not anymore. My, like I said, I have fundamentally changed. Because before, that would have been like the end of my life. That would have been so distressing to me. But not anymore. Now, honestly, if I have a big zit on the end of my nose, I can walk into a crowd of people in a formal event and and I don't feel I don't feel insecure. And it's all based on the fact that I know that my value as a person hasn't changed just because I have a zit on my nose. Also, I realize that those people, all of them, have had zits on their noses before. So a lot of putting things into context and understanding the way that our value as people, what it's rooted in, and the very nature of it, having an accurate understanding about that. I'm not insecure about the zit on my nose because walking into a group of people who are in a, at a formal event with that zit on my nose, I know it has no effect whatsoever on me, who I am, and what I am. Would have destroyed me before. So my worth doesn't depend on what other people think of me, and it doesn't change based on what I'm wearing, whether my breath smells like mint, or whether my skin looks perfect that day. 
you know true sense of uh, inherent worth like that doesn't come and go get greater or lesser you guys have heard me talk about these things before but uh, the, I just wanted to answer that question about do do healthy people get insecure yeah we I experience insecurity all the time um, you know if I were to get up and give a uh, a speech in front of a thousand people I would experience nerves and anxiety but not because I'm worried about what people think of me rather it would be more based on my preparedness uh, my expectations for myself how I hope for myself to do not on whether what other people are going to think of me so there would be some nerves and butterflies and that sort of thing but it wouldn't be based on what it used to be based on right it would be based now on expectations I have for myself my hopes of how I might deliver that speech how um, I have it in my mind and how I want to live up to that expectation for myself uh, and whether or not I can I can live up to that expectation or not right but even if I get out there and I totally flub everything my disappointment is not going to be based on God I'm such an idiot and those people are laughing at me and I will I wouldn't even be thinking about those sorts of things not anymore uh, I would be thinking about the disappointment of gosh I had a chance to really do something that I wanted to do and I didn't live up to what I was hoping I was going to be able to pull off Maybe maybe I'll get another chance and I'll do better next time. That's how I would look at that sort of thing. In the end, the secret to achieving a sense of security and contentment with oneself is truly liking yourself. So it's not changing all the things that you hate about yourself. Rather, it's embracing many parts of uh, what you do hate about yourself. Right, we're talking about unchangeable things. We're talking about things that just make you who you are. Like maybe you don't like uh, the shape of your face. Uh, maybe you don't like the sound of your voice. Right, but these are aspects of you that make you who you are. And the secret to really liking yourself is not changing all those things because a lot of those things are unchangeable. Right, <laughs> to change them would mean that you'd become somebody else. So the, the secret to really loving oneself is not changing all the things that you hate about yourself. Because a, a lot of things in recovery are counterintuitive. Uh, you know, you've been running the opposite direction. You've been running away from a lot of these things you hate about yourself for a long, long time. And for me to tell you that the, the answer is for you to stop running and to turn around and embrace those things, probably not easy to do. And uh, I'm not saying that everything, like that's the attitude you can have about everything. So, for example, you can't say, "Well, I have borderline personality disorder, and that's just a part of me." So, I'm just gonna, you're just gonna have to learn to accept it. No, because that can be changed. Borderline personality disorder is not an inherent part of what makes you you. It's something that you've uh, learned and you've adopted, but it's not you, right? So it's something that's unhealthy. It's something that's not meant to be there. It's something that you have the capacity to fix. You need to fix it. That's the attitude to have about that. But as far as things go that just make you who you are, you know, things that are an inseparable part of just who you are, the, the answer to that is to stop running from those things and to turn around and embrace those, accept them as 
yeah, that is a part of me. I'm going to start loving myself even with these things that I, I wish were different. That's the answer to that. Before we go on, let me do the announcements today. TheLastSymptom.com is my website full of free resources. You can uh, offer me a donation there if my work is beneficial to you and you'd like uh, to ensure that I'm able to continue doing this. A donation is a good way to do that. And I just want to say thank you to anybody who's donated recently. Now, here's the thing about donations. I wish, there's a guy that I watch on YouTube. I think it's called Camping with Steve. Yeah, I think that's the name of the channel, Camping with Steve. And what he does, he goes out and he camps in just these weird places. Spends the night, for example, he'll spend the night in a drainage ditch. And then on the next episode, he'll spend the night behind a police station. And it's all this stealth camping. But one thing he does that I kind of admire is he'll run a list of names of people who've donated to him to uh, allow him to continue doing what he's doing. And every time I see that, I think, boy, that'd be real nice if I could do something like that. But here's the thing. It, in, his, in the context of what he's doing, it works. In the context of what I'm doing, it don't work because the subjects we talk about are kind of sensitive. And there's a lot of people who don't want their name out there, right? A lot of people would not be too happy if I said, hey, John Smith, nice long-time listener of The Last Symptom Show, because then he might have workmates or, or whatever who says, hey, I heard you mentioned on The Last Symptom podcast. Why are you listening to that show for? Do you have an emotional disorder? Does your wife have an emotional disorder? Are your kids all right? And it's uh, it, so it's kind of an, uh, not an ideal situation for me to start calling out people's names. And that's why I don't give shout-outs like some of these other channels do. It just doesn't work for what I'm doing, and I hope everybody understands that. That's why I have to give a kind of a generalized thank you to people who have donated or who are thinking about donating. I really do appreciate it. It does help me tremendously. I offer some paid services at thelastsymptom.com, such as one-on-one -on -one phone conversations with me, one-on-one -on -one video Zoom conversations with me, and the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a a two-week intensive pre-recorded online program it's like taking a pre-recorded online course and uh, it covers all everything you need to authentically recover from an emotional disorder the fundamentals that you can continue to build upon in your journey to do that and last but not least I want to mention locals that's my that's where uh, all the last symptom social media is taking place these days you can get there by going to the last we'd love for you to join us there next topic i have borderline personality disorder but i, I don't perceive myself as devoid as worth as you say you say that at the root of emotional disorder is perceiving oneself as devoid of worth well, let me explain that. A lot of people wonder, how do I get from saying, you know, you you don't perceive your value as being inherent, an inherent quality of being a, per, a person. You say, okay, but how do you get from that to I'm devoid of worth? That's quite a jump, don't you think? Well, you know, let's use my iPhone here for an example. Uh, those of you who are watching this on uh rumble or youtube can see that i'm holding my iphone here 
let's say that uh, my iPhone stops working. So does the iPhone have inherent worth? Well, no, it don't. It, it has worth as long as it's useful to me, right? Uh, as long as, and when the iPhone stops working, and it doesn't even have to stop working, that's the irony of it. It can just be outdated by five years. Think about that. My iPhone can just get outdated by five years, and then it's worthless to me. I can't even use certain apps. It won't even work on certain cell towers. It still works, but it has become useless to me, worthless. Uh, I have an iPhone sitting right over here on a, on a shelf, an old iPhone. It's worthless to me. I can't even sell it. That's true. I've tried to sell that thing. I can't even sell it for uh, 50 bucks. Nobody wants it. It's worthless. What happens is that it, you know, if you take away the things that the phone can do for me, if you take those things away and you just consider the phone on its own, so imagine that it won't even turn on. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't do anything. It's just this shell. It's just this shell of a phone, really. Then, just on its own, without anybody wanting it, or without it doing anything for me, just on its own, weighed on its own merits, what is it? What value does it have? It has no value. It's just valueless. It's it's worthless. But let's say that we update it and we give it all these abilities and everything like that and suddenly it becomes valuable again doesn't it so its worth is from comes from all these external sources but if you take away all those external sources and you're just left with the phone that doesn't do anything it won't even turn on then just on its own merits it's it's completely worth less it's devoid of worth right that's that's what we're talking about when we're talking about when a person perceives themselves that way like their own value as a person has to come from external things like that that's where all the worth comes from that is the importance between viewing a thing as uh, viewing ourselves as our worth coming from uh, being inherent and our worth um, not being inherent if you don't view your worth as inherent, what that means, innately means, is that all your value has to come from external things. And if you take away those external things and you just consider you on your own, we just weigh you on your own merits, there's nothing there. You're just an empty shell of worthlessness. And that all happens in a person's attitude. You know, the unconscious attitude. Most of the times, such as in the case of this person who's asking this question, because they say, I have borderline personality disorder, but I don't think of myself as devoid of worth. But yeah, you do, because the two things are inseparable. You can't have borderline personality disorder and have an appropriate, accurate view of worth, of human worth. The two things are completely incompatible. If you had an accurate, healthy perspective on the true nature of human worth, you wouldn't have borderline personality disorder. It's as simple as that. So some things I want to mention here. 
you can't believe your worth as a person is not inherent that is to say that it has to be earned and at the same time believe you're not devoid of inherent worth that's describing an impossible scenario number two your current inability to perceive the reality that you do view yourself as devoid of worth what is that evidence of it's only evidence of your current inability to perceive it that's your true attitude and belief system you just don't realize that's your true attitude and belief system so more work is required of you to continue thinking on this point until you can see the reality clearly because you can't eliminate what you can't see right see in the figurative sense you can't eliminate you can't identify address and eliminate what you can't even see is there at a, in the first place number three shame is is the feeling of being devoid of inherent worth <clears throat> so when we talk about shame that's what it is shame is I'm uh, irrelevant and shameful devoid of worth it's just we're, de- we're, we're detailing it we're fully detailing it but you could also just say it's shame and that's what it is number four the person I'm replying to here described the idea of his worth as being determined by external things and it's important to note that a person who feels that he or she has inherent worth doesn't view external things as being a factor in their worth right you understand that it seems obvious but it's not obvious when you're coming out of these distorted belief systems as long as you believe that your worth that your personal worth as a person is in any way related to external things any way even a microscopic amount if you believe that it is in any way related to external things then you don't believe in inherent worth you might think you do but you don't nobody who believes in inherent value for people views external things as being a factor whatsoever in their worth as a person number five inherent means that a quality is inseparable from the thing itself you know rain is wet so no external thing is required in order for rain to be wet rain just is wet always has been it always will be the two things are inseparable number six a person cannot be raised believing that their worth is dependent on external things and at the same time believe that they are inherently valuable understand that we kind of we're just kind of repeating what we just said but you cannot at the same time that you believe that your worth is in any way dependent on any external thing what people think what you've accomplished in life or what you haven't accomplished in life none of these things and at the same time believe that you are inherently valuable you're describing an impossible scenario it's a those two totally contradictory things it's an impossible combination of things it's like saying unwet rain right 
There's never been such a thing as unwet rain, <laughs> and there never will be, because rain, by its inherent nature, is wet. Number seven, so anybody who believes their worth is a little bit dependent on external things is no different than the person who believes their worth is a whole lot dependent on external things. Do you see that? There's no difference. If you believe that your worth is a little bit dependent on external things, that's no different whatsoever than the person who believes that their worth is a whole lot dependent on external things. That difference does not make any difference whatsoever. If you believe it a little bit, you might as well believe it completely. Both of these individuals, the person who thinks that their worth is a whole lot dependent on external things and the person who believes that their worth is a little bit dependent on external things, both of these individuals are existent in the same fictional reality where inherent worth is completely absent. Number eight, anybody who doesn't fully accept that they have inherent worth is living with the either unconscious or subconscious idea that they're inherently relevant and shameful, devoid of worth, whether they know it or not. Number nine, imagine an empty peanut shell. You ever go in these restaurants where you sit down, you order a steak, and in the meantime, while you're waiting on your food, they bring out these buckets of uh, peanuts in the shell. You crack them, and then you, you can just throw the peanut shells on the floor. So imagine an empty peanut shell like that. That's the person who's been raised to misunderstand the nature of their inherent worth. They walk around like empty husks. And in order to genuinely feel any value, they're constantly on the search for a peanut to insert into their empty shell so that they can feel whole. Number 10. What these people don't realize is that they've always been a whole peanut. They've always been a whole peanut. Shell and all. And the emptiness is a lie that was implanted in their minds. The emptiness is not really there. That's the tragic thing about it. The emptiness is not even really there. But do you remember what I said? If a person... Uh, believes a thing or perceives a thing a certain way then for all intents and purposes as human beings that it is that way it, that's because it still has as much power over us as if it really were that way right so a person who believes the lie that was implanted in their minds um, confusing them about the true nature of worth the person who believes that lie the effect of that, of believing that, on them is the same as if it were true. But it's not true. You've always been a whole peanut. That emptiness that you're feeling is not even really there. Think about that real hard between now and the next show. The emptiness that you are feeling is not really there. You feel it's there, you feel it strongly but it's not there not really you're a whole nut you've just been uh, you just had some very very bad emotional teachers 
who have uh, planted some lies in your mind. So in short, there's no believing that external things have a little bit of effect on our inherent worth, while at the same time having an accurate perspective on the true nature of our inherent worth. One either lives with the foundation concept that they are inherently valuable, or they live with the foundation concept that they're devoid of worth, and that their worth is dependent on external factors. Never both things together. Not even a teeny tiny, itsy bitsy tiny little bit. Alright, now we've talked about the person who says, I don't perceive myself as devoid of worth. Let's talk to the person who says, I don't feel negatively about my feelings. Not recogn- Again, not recognizing that you see your feelings as inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, is not the same as not seeing your feelings as inherently irrelevant and shameful. Did you, ca- did you catch that? Not recognizing that that's how you view them is not the same as saying that that's not how you view them. I understand many may believe that they have a perfectly healthy opinion of feelings. Uh, I felt that I once believed the same way. But eventually I had an awakening to the reality of the matter. That was the an epiphany I had early on in my recovery that allowed me to get from there to here. Was that at some point I had to see things that were right under my nose my entire life. Uh, but that I was not even aware of. I didn't even know that about myself. That, that I had. That I viewed certain things in certain ways so it's not my responsibility to convince everybody that their foundation beliefs are distorted you know that task uh, falls to each individual in the work that they're doing for themselves but I can say the following unequivocally if you have the symptoms reflective of these underlying unhealthy beliefs that we're talking about if you have the symptoms of those beliefs then you live with those beliefs there's no other possibility it it doesn't matter whether you recognize that you live with those beliefs or not your attitudes your behaviors your actions the way you interact with the world is proof positive of it In other words, our thoughts, behaviors, feelings, reactions, all these things are always, always perfectly reflective of our foundation perspectives, our underlying belief system. Therefore, if the way they manifest reflects emotionally unhealthy underlying attitudes and and, and belief system, that's really the unhealthy attitudes and belief system you live with. If you lived with healthy, accurate attitudes and you had an emotionally healthy belief system, well, then all of your thoughts, behaviors, feelings, and reactions would be undeniable evidence of it. It'd be per- it's, it's a mirror. We're talking about a mirror here. Whatever you see in the mirror, whatever's being reflected back to you, it's reflecting exactly what your real attitudes are. That's what your behaviors, your actions, your, your thoughts, you know, the way you interpret the world around you, and those sorts of things, the way you interact with the world around you, 
it's all a perfect reflection of whatever your true underlying attitudes are never they never contradict each other because it's a mirror you know you never get into a, a perfectly good mirror and look at yourself and go no that's not how I look that's not how I look at all my hair's not brown my face don't, don't look like that I look like uh, uh, Robert Redford and the guy I'm looking at here in the mirror doesn't look like anything like Robert Redford. This mirror is lying to me. You never say that because you know that whatever's being reflected back to you, it's a perfect representation, right? Well, that, that's our thoughts, behaviors, feelings, and reactions. They are a perfect reflection of what our true underlying belief system and attitudes are. And I call that the law of genuine attitude reflection. If you take the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, that two-week intensive course I was telling you about, I talk, I think, quite a bit about the, the law of genuine attitude reflection. And basically it goes like this. The way you naturally behave around a thing cannot contradict what the true underlying attitude is that you live with in relation to that thing. So, for example, bees... Have you ever seen anybody who was allergic to bees? <laughs> I have. Years ago, I was driving to a nearby town, and as I was coming into that town, so coming out of the country and into that town, uh, I saw a guy painting. He was up on a ladder painting a house, and way up on top of this ladder. And all of a sudden, he started waving his hands, and he jumped from the top of that ladder all the way down, boom, hits the ground, went rolling across the ground, jumps up, crazy, same thing, uh, uh, swatting his hands all through the air and everything. So I pulled over. I thought the guy was having a stroke or something. I really thought he was having like a, a medical emergency. And I guess uh, he kind of was. But I pulled over. I said, uh, hey, buddy, you all right? He screamed at me, I'm allergic to bees. There's a bees. There's bees. I'm allergic to bees. And he just went running through the yard. I, he said that, and then he just disappeared. He went running off. I was going to let him into the car, but he didn't stick around. He just took off. I'm allergic to bees. Clearly, his behaviors and actions revealed an absolute truth about what his underlying attitudes and beliefs are about bee stings. Right? Would would we have seen him leap off of uh, a two-story tall ladder, roll on the ground, and act ridiculous in public like that, if his belief system was that be there's nothing to worry about with bees? Oh, I'll get stung a few times, but I'll be all right. No, clearly that was not the belief system that he lived with. You know, when I saw him. He wasn't twirling around laughing with his arm outstretched like uh, the sound of music, you know. He, the guy was in a panic. And that's the law of genuine attitude reflection. It doesn't work any differently when you see how people treat themselves, you know, right? If you see people treat themselves terribly, don't take care of themselves, they uh, don't look out for their own best interests they uh, neglect themselves things like that and then they say oh no I love myself no I really I do like myself no you don't no you don't because the law of genuine attitude reflection if you did love yourself we would see the exact opposite of what we do see 
you would be taking care of yourself. You would not be neglecting yourself. That's what a person who truly does love himself or herself, that's the way they behave naturally. You know, uh, how about how people interact with others? How they react to the feelings of others? The, their behaviors and actions are practically screaming out to you what the true underlying attitudes are that they live with. But people who don't know any better seem to have a hard time putting two and two together. They're too thrown off by what the person says that contradicts everything you're seeing. So, for example, people who say, I love you, while 99% of their behaviors and attitudes and and, uh, reactions and interactions with folks don't reveal love at all. So they're ter- they're telling the girlfriend at night when you're when they're lying in bed all lovey-dovey, yo I love you. But the the whole day and the whole week their reactions, behaviors, actions, interactions have not reflected that. The girl says, "But he says he loves me." He says he loves me, and then they go into cognitive distant. Uh, then they go into cognitive dissonance, where what they're being told does not match at all the facts of what they're seeing. But you know, whereas a sane—I don't want to say sane person—but whereas a an emotionally healthy person would look at the evidence and and draw the accurate conclusion, he doesn't love me. He's just saying he loves me, but he doesn't. The, unhe- the unhealthy person does not do that. The unhealthy person tries to make excuses, c- tries to come up with explanations for why this person can do things that love does not allow and, and explain why that person can still love them. That's cognitive dissonance. You know, not only is the person, not only is that person's behaviors not reflective of, of authentic love, but those behaviors are in fact totally contradictory to what love is. In other words, love, authentic love, would not even allow for such behaviors. But the woman wants to believe what she wants to believe, doesn't she? And the guy's saying that he loves her, so cognitive dissonance uh, kicks in and she begins to come up with all these ridiculous explanations that make no sense whatsoever for why he can uh, mistreat her and why that can still be love. It's cognitive dissonance. Again, I was once the person denying that I had negative notions about the value of feelings. However, this was only proof of my denial or my inability to perceive it due to a lack of understanding, not proof that my subconscious view of my feelings was healthy. To determine if one is living with these fundamentally unhealthy attitudes and uh, beliefs it's not enough to simply examine what we believe we believe (laughs) I know that's a little confusing it's not enough to simply consider what we think what we believe instead we must over time compare our thoughts behaviors feelings reactions to uh, the unhealthy belief system and see if it matches if it matches, that's that's the belief system you do live with. This is how one experiences a slow awakening that, wow, yeah, this distorted belief system has been sitting in there all this time, and I was completely oblivious to it.
So, I'm half asleep. It got real late on me. It's uh, the human condition, right? I'm tired, and my brain's not working right now, and I feel like I'm leaving stuff out. So anyway, I'm not going to draw this out real long tonight uh, from this point on. I'm just going to say I hope you all all have a great week, and I appreciate you listening to the show. Hope you do something nice for yourselves this weekend. If you haven't thought about what you're going to do, now's a good time to start thinking about it. And uh, I'll talk to you folks next week. All right? Y'all take care. Thank you.